So if you have your Bibles here, you can just, uh, just open them up and turn with me to Acts chapter number 2 and verse 42. And this morning I'm just going to be preaching from these five verses, uh, from verse 42 going through to verse 47. When we ended off last week, we saw how uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. We saw how the disciples, the believers were gathered together and they were praying and they were, they were waiting on this power that Jesus had promised them that they would get power from on high. And when they've received the power from on high, that they would then be able to go and be the witnesses that God had called them to be. And we see the very first thing that happens after they, they receive this outpouring of the Holy Spirit and they experience the presence and the power and the love of, of God in that tangible sense. The, you know, the, the sound of the rushing wind and the, the flames of fire that appeared above their heads. It was a really tangible moment. And there comes moments in our lives where we experience that tangible presence of God where God goes from being theoretical knowledge that we have about Him to we actually are experiencing Him right now. And the very first thing that happens is we just begin to praise Him. We can't help ourselves. We just want to worship. We want to sing. And we want to declare His glory. And, and we want to declare it to people who don't know Him. And so people are, are a little bit confused by this. Some are saying, hey, these guys are drunk. Peter gets up. It's only 9 a.m. We don't get drunk before 10. That's... Probably not. But, you know, Peter gets up and he says, uh, he says, these are not drunk as you suppose. But this is what was promised. And he begins to preach a message and 3,000 people at the end of that message come to know Jesus. In this time between Peter having preached, these 3,000 people coming to know Jesus, and verse 40, 42, literally the next verse, there wasn't enough time between verse 41 and 42 to open up any Bible colleges. There wasn't enough time for a Christian subculture to develop so that people know, kind of like they do today, when you go to church, this is how you dress, this is how you talk, this is how you stand, this is what you do, this is how many songs there'll be. Today, we've, we've created, uh, over the, the years and the centuries, uh, a strong culture in different aspects. But what happens here in verse 42 is so different because there wasn't enough time for them to create anything. In other words, this is a gut level response to the gospel. And that's the title of the message that I want to share with you this morning, a gut level response. Acts 2 verse 42 to 47. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing uh, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Every single day people were coming to know Jesus just through this gut level community, this response of a group of people who have finally experienced Jesus. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. But before we do anything else, let's just pray together. And thank Jesus for this time. Jesus, we want to thank you right now that you are present, that you're here in our midst, just as you were all those years ago, ago on the day of Pentecost, just as you were when the early church were doing the things you had called them to do. We thank you that you are present here. 
And God, we pray that you make your word and yourself and your life and your love real to us this morning so that we would have the same gut level response as those in the, had in the book of Acts. God, we thank you this morning that you're the one who's speaking, regardless of anything else that's happening around us, God, uh, regardless of, 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 of anything that is, is in our minds or around our thoughts, God, that you're the one who's speaking clearly and distinctly to each one of us individually and to us as a group. So we just give you all the glory and the praise and the honor for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever noticed this in your own life, but when somebody tells you you have to do something, you never want to do it. I'm like that specifically when I'm driving on the highway. Like if I see somebody is faster than me uh, in the fast lane, I, I, will, I will move over. This is Joburg. That happens a lot. You will be doing 300 on the highway and someone will be faster than you, right? That's how we do it in Joburg. And if you put your indicator on to get into that lane, then they'll especially, then they get really fast to make sure you don't get in front of them. And, uh, and, and so I'll move over. I'm one of those, I don't want to be difficult, so I'll move over, except if he flashes lights at me. When he flashes lights at me, I'm like, I, you will not move me with an army tank right now. You flashed your lights, and now you're going to have to wait. And uh, we took the team down to uh, Belito a while back to go and visit a church down there. And, uh, and we had a bet on which kinds of drivers and cars do this. And we counted five out of five cars on the trip down that flashed us were all BMW drivers. So this morning, I just want to pray for anyone who owns a BMW that Jesus would help you to be better, all right? Um, but when somebody tells you that you have to do something, then you especially don't want to do it. It's like waking up early in the morning, for example, especially on Monday mornings. Fortunately, we have tomorrow off. I, I, I put in a good word, we all have off tomorrow morning. But, but on a Monday morning, they say that on Mondays, people have more, there are more heart attacks, more people die of heart attacks on Mondays than any other day. And I can totally see why. Because after you've had a weekend and you've had time to perhaps sleep late or do the things that you want to do, you now have to get up and you know that you're in for another long day uh, or an, another long week of, of work. And so when we have to get up, it's really, really difficult. But everything changes when we have to get up for something that we love. Isn't it amazing how when it's something that we love, something that's captured our hearts, uh, then we don't have any problem getting up. I'm really not a, a morning person. I'm a little bit of a night owl. I love to work late at night when it's quiet and everybody else is asleep. I can work through the night and I've, I've done it many times. It's not so healthy. I'm trying to change. But, uh, but, but at night, I really come alive and I can work. Early in the morning, uh, sometimes it's a little bit more of a, of a challenge to me, except if we're waking up to go to, on holiday. Then I have no problem getting up. Then it's easy. If, if, if it's a hobby, if, if I'm waking up to go and play a round of golf, I'm up. I'm up at 5.30. I'm at the golf course at 7. I'm ready to play. Um, so when it's something that you love, it's amazing how things that normally seem difficult now become easy. I remember going to uh, the Kruger with my, with my wife, and we love going out to the bush. I love doing wildlife photography and just being in nature, something I've enjoyed since I was a, a, a little boy. And... Um, and many times, whenever we're in the Kruger, we, we wake up before sunrise. We wake up really early in the morning, and, uh, and we want to get to the gate first. We want to get out first and make sure that we get the best shots and the best light. And uh, I remember we were once on like an eight-day trip, and every single morning we were waking up between 4.30 and 5.30 to be ready to go out. And it's, it's not a problem. 
And I remember one specific time, it was maybe day six, and we'd woken up early every single morning. And that morning, I woke up and I said to my wife, should we get up? Should we just have one day where we sleep in? And as I said that, we heard a lion roaring outside of the camp. And immediately I said, I was like, I'm up, I'm up. It's good, let's go. Let's go find that lion. I'm, I'm ready for this. Because I was inspired. I felt alive in that moment. Like there is an adventure out there that wakes me up and says, there's something that you can go and be a part of and you don't want to miss out on this. When it's something that you love, when you understand the adventure, when you understand that, that moment of, of coming alive, uh, it, it wakes up every part of us and it's so much easier for us to do the things that God has called us to do. Right now, I get that same feeling on Sunday mornings when I wake up. Sunday mornings, I am up in the fives, okay? That's intense, up in the fives on a Sunday morning. And I get up, but every Sunday that I get up, it's like I hear the roaring of a different lion. I hear the voice of Jesus saying, this is it. This is your opportunity. This is it. This is your opportunity. And that's true for all of us. As we come through to Anchor Church, as we come through to whatever God is going to do in the future through this church, this is it. This is our opportunity. And whatever little inconveniences and whatever waking up early and, and, and having a meal with people that we don't know or hearing pots and pans clapping in the back, they're really uh, going to work this morning. I think those guys are getting paid extra today. But, uh, but it's all worth it because we get to be a part of this adventure. We get to be a part of this great story that God has, has called us to. When we experience Jesus, what happens is, is that our have-tos become want-tos. A lot of people go to church because they think they have to. A lot of people will join a connect group because they think they have to. A lot of people will, will uh, put fa their faith in Jesus because they think that they have to. Read their Bible or pray because they have to. Worship because they have to. But the more... Uh, we, or the closer we grow to Jesus, the more we see Him, the more we experience Him, the more our have-tos become want-tos. Now we become passionate about the things that we're doing because it's captured our hearts. And that doesn't mean that it's always easy, but we always go back to our hearts have been captured by this, this great God and His love and His grace for us. So that moves us to do things we wouldn't otherwise be able to do. Many people perceive Christianity as a set of virtues or principles to live by. Just a set of rules on a, on a list, a, a checklist that we have to go through every week. But I believe that that's not what the Bible is about. Yes, the Bible does have virtues and principles in there, but it's, it, 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 it's, it's actually telling us about something far greater. It's capturing our heart by revealing the love that God has for us. And we need that. Because just knowing what to do doesn't actually give us the ability to do it. If we all just always did what we knew we had to do, we would never do anything wrong because we all know what we're supposed to do. The problem that we have as people is that we know what we're supposed to do and more often than not, we do the opposite because we're rebellious at heart. I remember going to go look at a car that I was thinking of buying once, and it was a second-hand car. We were stopping at a, um, at a complex, and we, had to, we stopped, and there was a big red sign on, on the boom that says, please do not hoot. And before that moment, I had not thought about hooting. 
There was nothing in me that said I, that wanted to hoot. But when I saw the sign, I just wanted to hoot. It's the only thing I wanted to do. And that's how it works when we, we read the Bible in that way. So there's a bigger story in the Bible. And in this passage, in Acts chapter number 2, verse 42 to 47, we see a gut-level response to the gospel. These are people who are used to being told what they're supposed to do. These are people who are living according to the law. They just have to follow every precept, and they have to uh, attend every feast, and they have to uh, offer every sacrifice. They are used to being told what to do, but now they experience Jesus for the first time. They're brought to life. They come alive. They experience that sense of adventure. And all of a sudden, they just want to be a part of it. There's a gut-level response that they have. I remember one guy who joined my Connect group a while back. And uh, he came every single week to this Connect group. But he was always kind of just with, he withheld. He was just a little bit quiet and, uh, and, and never really engaged in anything that was being said or done. And as we went through the weeks, I was kind of just waiting for something to happen in this guy. And it almost looked oftentimes as if he didn't really want to be there. I remember one specific night, uh, we all went together to a church service. And in that church service, he really experienced Jesus. I mean, for the first time, he, it's like the penny dropped about what Jesus had done for him. And we went out, a whole group of us, to a pizza restaurant afterwards. And sitting there having pizza, this guy couldn't sit still on his chair. This guy who had been so reserved and so quiet and kind of like, I'm scoping this out and I'm evaluating and I'm analyzing. Now, all he wants to know is, what do I need to do? What do I, like, I got Jesus. What, what, should I pray more? Should I read it? He, he, there was a gut level response to him having experienced Jesus. And he's saying, I really just want to know what must I do? And we see this in scripture. When people experience the power of God, their first question is, okay, okay, what, what do I need to do? It, it moves us in a way that no law or religion could ever move us. That's the love of God. And it produces a gratefulness, a gratitude in all of our hearts when we realize what Jesus has done for us. When Benita and I moved into um, our, I think it was the second home that we, we ever had. We stayed in our first home. It was, you have shoebox. It was just slightly bigger than that. Um, and, and then we moved to a slightly bigger place out in the West Rand. We were out there for a few years. And uh, we stayed in this house and, and we, had a, we had a neighbor. And when you stay in complexes, you always hope you don't end up next to the person who's the head of the body corporate. Because you know there's a reason why they became the head of the body corporate. And I'm not going to expand on that. You can just, just figure it out for yourselves. But we ended up next to this lady, and she was not the best neighbor that we've ever had. She would spray our dogs with water when they barked. She once uh, jumped over our wall to move one of our plants that she said was too close to the wall. Stuff like that that she did that was really really, really difficult. And just in general, I went over to a house once actually to do something, to, to uh, do something nice. It wasn't, I can't remember specifically what it was, but it wasn't, there was no panic or anything. And I knocked on her door and I said, hi. And she came out like, what's wrong? What's wrong? Like just, I'm like, nothing, nothing. It's okay. It's okay. And I don't know if you've ever had any neighbors like that, but it was just really difficult to build a good relationship with him. And one Christmas, uh, Benita, my, my wife, she loves to bake. 
And, uh, and she decided she was going to bake cookies for these neighbors. And she makes the most incredible shortbread that she, uh, she got the recipe from uh, like a, a lady, a Greek lady who was on her deathbed who handed this over. This is amazing. It should be in a museum somewhere. It's so good. And she made this box of shortbread. And I took it over to the people next door. And the lady and her husband were out there. And I, I said, hey, it's, it's Christmas, and I just like to, we just wanted to give you something just to uh, say thank you and, and hope you ha- have had a great year. And, and there was a gut-level response that this guy had, like this gratitude that came up that it was so unexpected. I don't think in, in years anybody had done anything, even though it was so small, it didn't seem as if anybody had ever done anything like that. And all he wanted to do was give me something back. And he was like, well, uh, uh, okay, come, come, come. And he takes me into his garage and he's like, he's looking around in his garage what he could give me. And I was like, are you using this car? No, I didn't say that. But um, <laughs> he took me and he had a wall uh, with fishing gear and he, he opened up a few boxes and he was scratching around just in this frantic response to this box of cookies. And he pulls out a lure and he goes, this lure, this lure is the magic. It, it, you know, it's, it's the, and I want you to have it. I want you to, he didn't even know if I did fishing or not, but he just wanted to give me something in response. It was a gut level response to grace. And that's what God awakens in us when we experience his grace is a gut level. What what can I do? What can I do, Jesus? What can I give you, Jesus? How can I serve you, Jesus? Because you've given me something that I'm not worthy of, that I don't deserve. A gratefulness that rises up in our hearts, that changes our attitude, our perspective. It makes things that previously would have been difficult, even impossible for us. Now, those things become a joy to us. So as we go through this scripture, I just noticed a few things that I want to highlight today. The first one that I want to mention is one of the most critical. And I think everything else that is in this chapter hangs on this one statement. And it says this, it says, and all came upon every soul. All came upon every soul. Now that word all means a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. All. When the Bible speaks about fearing God, it doesn't mean be afraid of God. It means stand in awe of God. Understand the greatness of God. Look at the might of God, the wonders of God, the the grace of God. Look at how good God is and how much God has done. And when we see God in that way, we're overwhelmed with a sense of awe and wonder and reverential respect for Him. I remember as a child, uh, we had a a farm. My family had a farm out, just a little farm out in um, a little town on the the coast uh, in, in a place called Stillby. And on this farm, there was just a small uh, wooden kind of cottage at the top. It only had two bedrooms, and we were four kids, two adults. It, it, was, it was good times. But uh, we, we, we stayed in this small little place. No electricity. We didn't have any electricity on the farm and, and no water. We actually pumped water up from a fresh water fountain. And, and that's how we spent every holiday, living with no TVs, no radios, everything working on paraffin lamps. It was just an incredible time as a child growing up in nature and experiencing that. And it was on the coast. And we had a, a, little, a little stoop, a little porch that we would sit on at night. And, and as you sat up kind of on the hill with the ocean in front of you at night, it's like the stars 
didn't begin above you. It's like they started in front of you. Where the ocean ended, the stars just kind of moved up. And being so far from any major city or town and on a farm with no electricity, on nights where there were no moon, it felt as if you could see every single star. And I remember as a child actually getting frustrated looking at those stars because I felt like it was too much for me to take in. Like I had to close my eyes and go, just look at it, look at it, it's there. And, and you're trying to look at it, but it's, it's just too incredible. And you start to think about the distances and, the, and all the things. And I, and I actually went as far as getting some books from the library about stars and trying to, just trying to get a handle on how incredible it was what I was, what I was seeing. And whenever I think of standing in awe, that picture comes up. That like, I, I can't actually perceive how incredible this is. So this community, here's the gospel. Here's the good news of what Jesus has done for them. They get the snapshot of the greatness of God. And it fills them with awe. And what it leads them to is it leads them to devotion. It leads them to become devoted. What I realized in my own life is that I don't need devotion to get to Jesus. I need Jesus to get to devotion. Because without Jesus, there's no way I can be devoted. Without that sense of awe and looking at His grace, looking at His goodness, looking at what He's done, I won't have the, the, the necessary motivation and inspiration in my heart to actually be a devoted person. So I need Jesus to make me devoted. Not my devoted to bring me to my devotion to bring me to Jesus. And so that's what these first believers experienced. The Bible says they devoted themselves. So all came upon every soul and they devoted themselves. They gave themselves wholeheartedly. Devotion is seriously and earnestly persisting in something. Seriously and earnestly. They devoted themselves. They gave themselves. They, they gave their whole heart towards certain things that we're going to look at now. But they were a devoted people because they had seen Jesus. They had experienced Jesus. They, had, uh, they stood in awe of Him. So if we just go back there for a moment, he says this. Sorry, verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That first verse, verse 42, is like a summary of everything that they devoted themselves to. And in the following verses, it's as if Luke unpacks what each of those things looked like individually. And, and in the few minutes that we have left, I just want to, to look at that. So they devoted themselves First of all, to the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. Now back then, they didn't have uh, a Bible in written form like we would have it today. It wasn't that simple. And sometimes I feel like we can take our Bibles for granted. You know, our, our Bibles are oftentimes just left lying in the car or left lying uh, on our bedside tables. And in other countries, people are literally dying for the opportunity to, to read their Bible. But in this early church... The, the, the teachings of the apostles and the writings of the apostles was their scripture. 
That's what makes these, this first group of apostles different to the office of an apostle that we have today, because these were the men through whom God brought Scripture to us. The Bible says the Holy Spirit inspired them, and they wrote down whatever God inspired them to write. And so we can draw a parallel for today between the apostles' teaching and what we find in Scripture. I remember as a child, um, my, my dad, we were, we, were in a, we were in my grandfather's church at that time, and, and, and my dad had gone overseas, and for the first time ever, in, in fact, nobody had ever seen anything like this, he got a computerized Bible. Now, computerized in today's language, might be way overstating this. This is, you know, when you buy those little laptops for kids, it was something like that. You know, just little block text things, but you could read the Bible on a little screen, just black and white, uh, nothing like a Kindle even. I mean, it was just, you could actually see every pixel is like, you know, a square centimeter. So you got this big thing, and you could read the scriptures on this little computerized thing. And uh, it came in a little leather pouch. And I remember going to church, my dad going to church with that Bible, and people just being amazed. You are reading your Bible on a little computer. It had never been seen before. And I remember saying to my dad, I want one of those. I want one of those little computer things to read my Bible on. And, and I was still very young, but um, I remember my dad telling me he doesn't want to get me one because he wants me to know my Bible, not to just search for a book or a verse or a, or a scripture on that computer, but to actually hold a physical Bible to flip its pages and to learn where every book is. And over the, the, the following years of my life, many times I've gone through the Bible and I've read it and I've read it and I read it. And in high school, I was already reading it and marking it and, and, and going through it. And, and it produced something in me because it allowed me to experience Jesus. See, there's a way to read the Bible where you make yourself the focus of the Bible. And you are not the focus of the Bible. We are not the focus of the Bible. Jesus is the focus. There's a way to read it where all you're extracting is, I should do this, I should do this, I should be better, I should live more in this way. And it does have some of those suggestions but it's only through Jesus. And so the Bible is actually showing us Jesus. And, and when God revealed himself and, and, and moved in my life through his grace, I started to read my Bible again, but this time, instead of seeing myself, I started to see Jesus. It's like the first time I went to go watch a 3D movie. For those of you that enjoy going to movies, the first time my wife and I went to go watch a 3D movie was the movie Avatar. And I remember us buying those glasses, thinking this is so cool. We went and, and, uh, and sat down to watch this 3D movie. And we had watched movies for years. We had seen so many movies. In fact, my wife has probably seen almost every movie that has ever been made, good or bad. She does, she's the worst movie critic ever because every movie was amazing. And I'm, I'm literally sitting there going, oh, we're still watching this. And she's like, it's so good. So she just loves movies. And, and we had seen so many of them. But now for the first time, we saw another dimension to it. We saw something standing up out of it, and it was inspiring. It, 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 was, it was incredible to see. And that's how it is when the gospel enters your heart. Now you read the scriptures, and all of a sudden, there's a third dimension there that you hadn't noticed before. And it's like the 3D image that you get that stands up out of scripture is Jesus himself. You begin to see him. And that's why we can know Jesus through Scripture. 
through devoting ourselves to the teaching of the apostles. We can actually see Jesus. We can experience Him. We can, we can experience His, His love and His grace. And, and it goes on to say that there were many signs and wonders that these apostles did. There were, there were so many things that were happening. God was confirming all the things that He said. And for me, as a part of this journey of Anchor Church, I'm so looking forward to all the stories and the miracles that I know are going to happen through the life of this church and in the life of this church. We've got so much to look forward to. And that's what happens when we trust Jesus at a gut level. I've just got two more things. The first one is fellowship. So they, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching next to fellowship, to being together. And this is an incredible, there's an incredible gift that God gives us when we come to faith and when we experience Jesus. And that is the gift of self-forgetfulness or the ability to start forgetting yourself and start living for the people around you. That takes grace. We cannot do that without Jesus. But that was the gut level response that these Christians in the early church had. They became less and less concerned with themselves and more concerned with those who didn't know Jesus and those within their church, whether those people uh, were, were looked after and cared for. I remember my wife once coming back from a pre-meeting that she had gone to in the morning. She came back and she came back from the pre-meeting barefoot. And I obviously asked her, why? why? Why have you got no shoes on anymore? It was winter. And uh, she was in this prayer meeting, and she had noticed one lady who had walked to be at this prayer meeting and had holes in her shoes, no socks, on one of the coldest days of the year. And my wife had her favorite boots on. And she really didn't want to give them away. <laughs> and she actually prayed and said, God, if this woman is not a size seven, I will not give her these shoes because that's how I know. And so she went up to her and asked her, what size shoe are you really hoping it would be a five or a four? And the lady said, I'm a size seven. And so she took her boots off and, and gave it. Now, nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to give away the stuff that they love. But when Luke starts to speak about fellowship, he does mention being together and eating together and praying together. But the very first thing that Luke mentions, remember he's unpacking verse 42. The very first thing he mentions about fellowship, being together, is there's actually a, it's not just hanging out and having a great vibe and drinking coffee. There's an actual care and love for each other. That's what happens when a community gets rocked by the gospel. That's what happens when a group of people experience Jesus. It's not just, oh, it's nice to see you. Hello, see you again next week. There's a genuine concern for the welfare of each other. And there is a generosity that arises in our hearts. If we know that somebody is in need, we feel for them. And we want to, we wanna, if we need to sell something, I'll go sell something. I don't have the money, but let me sell something and take that money and give it to you. And that's what happens in the Scripture. They together, they, they, they're in fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. It says, and all who believed were together and had things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. We're children of God, and, a, and, a, and God is a generous God. And as His children, He produces generosity in us. 
it's actually the more generous we become, the more we can celebrate because we realize that God is delivering us from our inherent greed, making us more like Him. There's an incredible thing that happens when you realize that life is about more than what you possess. In Luke 12, again, Luke writing this, Luke 12, uh, 12 to 16, it says, uh, Jesus actually tells a parable. And at first glance, it, it seems a little bit harsh when you read it, but, but Jesus has got something so much more in store for all of us. He says, it says, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You can, we, can, we can make ourselves comfortable, but we're investing in this, this life and not in eternity. We have the opportunity to use anything that God has put in our hands to really make a difference. And don't say, well, I'll say, I'm saving this for later, because we don't know how long our lives are. We need to be as generous as we can be right now. And I don't just mean financially. I mean with our time and with our relationships and with our hearts and with how we treat every person. So that was the first aspect of this fellowship, was just this generosity. So it's the apostles teaching fellowship and then the breaking of bread and prayers. The breaking of bread and prayers. And this just shows me a group of people. Breaking of bread, uh, it, can talk, it talks about a communion and, and that they had together, but it also goes further than that. It says they broke bread in each other's homes daily. They were hanging out together all the time. They were truly connected with each other. And when they were connected, when they were together, just like we're together here today, they actually prayed together. They, they had a, a real sense that Jesus was there and could work through their prayers. And that's why every Sunday morning, I'm encouraging us to pray together. And you find that in our day and age, people don't actually know how to pray together anymore. I, I tried it once. I said, won't you just turn, even if you don't know the person, turn to the person next to you and just pray with them right now. And I just saw these blank stares, big eyes, people like, really? And they kind of like looked over the person next to them, hi. Like, <laughs> are we gonna pray? You know, just, just so difficult for people. But the church as a community of faith, we need to know how to pray together. We need to know how to be people of faith who are truly connected and, uh, and can call on God's name together, praise together, worship together. They became this community that met in the temple. It says they met daily in the temple, worshiping together and praising together and, uh, and also in each other's homes. They had an open home policy. Come over. Whenever you need to, just come over. The door is always open. We have an open home policy. And I'm praying God will give us that heart that we would open our homes, stop living such private, hidden lives, open our homes and let people in. Because that's the gut level response of the gospel. They had glad and generous hearts as they praised God. And finally, it says, they had favor with all people. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and they had favor with all people. Jesus said 
to his disciples, this is how people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And the love that they had for each other in this community was so incredible that people on the outside were looking at this going, I want to be a part of this. This is something different. This is something that we haven't seen before. There there is a a real gut level move of God happening and we want to be a part of it. So they got favor from people and that final verse says, and day by day, God added to their number. I believe that if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and we stay in awe of him, the very first value that we have as Anchor Church is that it is all about Jesus. And when we look at Jesus and we remain in awe of his goodness and his grace, it will spill out into a devoted heart that we'll have together to give ourselves to the, to the teachings of Jesus and the apostles through scripture, to, to fellowship, to be generous, to break bread and connect with each other and, and join a connect group and be around people and find somebody that you can be discipled by and disciple somebody else and, 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 and we'd meet together on Sundays and we'd be encouraged and it would become something that we love to do because we're in awe of Jesus. And His Spirit is changing us and inspiring us to do the stuff we wouldn't otherwise want to do. I want to ask you all to pray this week for Anchor Church, for this community, and for yourselves. For my wife and I, my family, and every other family that's connected to this group. That we would all grow in our awe of God that we would all be refreshed in our thinking regarding the gospel and Jesus, that we would behold him, look steadfastly into his face, consider what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and that we would go to his word, get connected, and spend time together in prayer so that this city out here that needs Jesus so badly would look at what God is doing through churches like Anchor and many other churches in this city and say, I want to be a part of that. I want to know that Jesus.